Welcome everyone to another episode of Equals. This is Nabil from a beautiful day in here in Nairobi where the sky is still blue, the birds are still tweeting, but pretty much everything else feels different, doesn't it, Max? It really does. And in a funny way, it feels a bit dark when you think of all the suffering that's now going on around the city. It's really quite surreal. It really is. Now, we're here to talk about the inequality virus. We're here to call it for what it is, an inequality virus. In countries around the world, we're seeing how this virus is both exploiting and exposing the deeply unequal world that we have, be it the gap between rich and poor, be it the gap between rich and poor countries, you know, racial inequality and the gap between women and men. And that's something we're going to be speaking about today. You read so many stories, but the one that really struck me this week was the bus driver who died in Detroit. You know, he'd gone on Facebook saying he was really worried about bringing the sickness home to his family. You've got bus drivers dying in the richest countries in the world. They didn't ask to be heroes. They didn't ask to be on the front line of this virus. And they're poor. And most of them are black as well. Yeah, in many places in the United States, we're seeing how four out of five deaths are black people, actually, including where they make up much, much, much less of the population. Max, I've got to tell you, I mean, we live here in Kenya and not a day goes by without me receiving a message from a taxi driver or somebody I know who's saying, look, my kids are going hungry. Things are difficult here on so many levels. Look at the exodus scenes now, like in Bangladesh, for example, where millions of garment workers are being sent home. These are the lowest paid, these are the most precarious jobs, and and they're mostly done by women. Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember that most precarious work is, is done by women, that you've got this huge burden of unpaid care that is exploding as kids are sent home from school. So it is all about the gap between men and women too. Yeah, and these and, and think of the carers, think of the cashiers, think of the nurses. These aren't folks who are waking up in the morning and saying, hey, I'm going to go to my attic today and work from Zoom today. They're going to work to stare this virus in the eye. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's clearly an inequality virus. And, and what we're going to do today is we're going to hear from two frontline workers here in Kenya. And it is about Kenya, but it's also, I think, very much about a typical developing country experience. So the two people we're going to speaking to today, first is a doctor who prefers to remain unnamed, a friend of mine. And she's really on the front line. She works in one of the largest hospitals here in Nairobi. And she talks to us about what she's facing. And then we're going to hear from security guard, uh, Jakob, who lives in Kibera, the biggest slum here in Nairobi. And we're going to hear about the, the, the economic impact of the virus already on the poorest communities. Brilliant. Let's get to it. So, my dear sister, let me start by saying a Santa Sana, a huge thank you. I do recognise the privilege of being able to speak to a frontline doctor right now. Now, you're a doctor in a big hospital here in Nairobi. We've just passed the 200 mark on cases, that, a number that seems to be going higher each day. Can you talk us through how it feels to be a doctor right now in a major hospital in a country like Kenya? Um, okay, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, well, a lot of it, a lot of the emotions that are going right now is mostly anxiety. So there's a lot of anxiety surrounding this whole um, COVID-19, because really, first of all, we've been seeing what's going on around the world. And you're looking at uh, nations that have really good healthcare and that are struggling to cope and the numbers are insane. So you're obviously worried about what's going to happen to the country. As the numbers continue to increase, you're worried about, you know, getting exposed at work. Are you going to get infected? You're worrying about, am I going to carry this home, you know, to my family, to my friends? So there's that level of anxiety that's uh, surrounding it. 
and then you know you're also concerned about your safety is it assured um what happens in the event that i get sick because right now um i believe insurance companies aren't covering uh your medical bills should you get infected and so that puts you at an interesting position as a healthcare worker i mean i know in public hosp in private hospitals they uh they do have a fund that caters for it but that's not necessarily the same in the government hospitals and that's a bit of a problem and then uh, and, and just before you do go on this is an important issue isn't it there've been really mixed signals on whether people are covered or not if they get covid-19 how how are you seeing it um i don't think that they're covered it's not clear um there's a lot of things that need to be clarified you know and um obviously as uh, as you're working in the front line you have people uh, you have your healthcare workers that are at risk there are some that are getting infected there's some that are potentially exposed and we caught up a little earlier didn't we about your experience because you're in quarantine yourself right now i mean how's that going it can't be easy right i mean and and it makes me think that not only are there less doctors than they need to be there's obviously many of you out of action right now as a result of this um it's honest it 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 takes a toll on your mental health because now you're waking up trying to feel okay how do i feel today am i sick um you start imagining some symptoms <laughs> you know you're hoping for the best so it's a very long two weeks of you staying at home trying to um pray for the best so it it takes a toll on your mental health that i will say and it also makes the anxiety worse of going back to work because once you've been through this you honestly don't want to have to go through it again i do hear you profoundly there about how the professional really translate into the personal now seeing health systems in some of the richest countries in the world really being overwhelmed right now speaking as a doctor how ready does a health system feel here in kenya we're in a country where our healthcare system was already struggling even before a crisis especially the public health system you have ill equipped hospitals you have understaffing you have these so many problems and you find that you've had a lot of people who are dying over diseases or conditions that could easily be managed or could have been better managed should there have been a better healthcare system and now you add a crisis onto this and honestly if uh, if this were if the numbers were to increase we wouldn't be able to cope um i don't have the exact figures of how many icu beds we have but i've read somewhere that there are about over 500 but of which 60% are in, in private hospitals and these are not obviously accessible to every single person and you also have to remember that uh covid-19 isn't the only disease so half of them are probably already occupied by people who are already sick so it's um we're not ready um yes i'll appreciate the fact that the government is trying to you know acquire ventilators and creating isolation beds and but it's not enough so if this were to spread very fast we would be in a lot of trouble that's my personal opinion <laughs> i wanted to ask you if you don't mind how equipped are you with personal protective equipment ppe i know it's a debate raging in many countries like the uk okay so uh the ppe that's available in hospitals actually varies with the hospital and with the counties so you'll have uh places where in majority of the outpatient departments uh, your accident and emergency you'll have at least most of the staff wearing a surgical mask you know gloves if you're lucky sometimes a gown 
um, the N95 mask, which is said to, um, you know, produce or create uh, better protection, are not used as much. They're a bit used. They're used more sparingly um, because they're not as many. But then you'll also have facilities where they don't even have enough surgical masks. So it's um, it's not the the number the amount of PPE that's being used is not uh, constant throughout. So there's a lot of imbalance with that. But yes, there is a, a shortage. Um, yes, there are bids to create more, but it needs they, we need a lot more. And you'll find that in a situation where, for example. When you look at the news and you're seeing people in full suits, you know, with a face shield and the goggles, um, that's not how we are in the outpatient departments. You know, that's probably just in the isolation wards, you know. So here it's almost a situation where you're trying to pick which patient looks relatively safe that I can just see with a mask, which patient do I need added protection. So it's almost like a gamble when it shouldn't be. And let me take that further, right? Because there is a real worry about the risk of COVID-19 hitting where most people live in a city like this, which is within the slums, right? The informal settlements, places like Quebero or Kawanguere, where social distancing isn't really possible, is it? Where water isn't running for many days of the week, is it? Yes, in the informal settlements, you'll find that you'll get out of your house and you can literally touch the next one you're almost inside of the next house you have a number of people sharing a small room these are people who have not had access to running water for the longest time and then now you're telling them wash your hands every so often you know you know these are things that should have been put in place way before a crisis were to happen these are areas where for example something like cholera which was something that should have been eradicated a long time ago you'd still find it in such areas because of access to clean water. So it's, it's hard, it's difficult. And it's, you're worried about a, an infection getting there because it's going to spread remarkably in such an area. That is extremely worrying. And Doctor, what I find really interesting listening to you is the way that you talk about things that should have been done, that could have been done, that are being brought to light right now by COVID-19. Now, can I ask more directly, what are the lessons that are being learned about the public healthcare system? Are lessons being learned? So what what uh, this uh, pandemic has done is basically um, exposed what doctors have been fighting for for the longest time, all right? It's, uh, we are constantly demanding for better hospitals, better staffing, better, you know, healthcare. And um, it's never, it's not, I'd say it's not really been a priority for our government, but now you have a situation where the rich or the middle class can't, can't travel out to get better healthcare. We're all sort of confined in this space and we have to deal with what we've got. And that sort of really exposed how lacking we are, how lacking our healthcare system is. And I'm hoping that this is a wake up call so that at least more can be invested. We can, this, this can be a chance to make things better for everyone. I really do hope it is a chance to make things better. And that point that you make about the rich now having to be confronted with the reality of what people face is, is particularly fascinating for this, for this podcast. Now, now Doctor, there's, there's a lot of action taking place at the international level that you know about. There's world leaders who are really worried about the exceptional risk 
that's faced by developing countries and the data showing this. Now we're seeing like bodies like the G20 focusing on this. Let me ask this, if you had the chance to address these world leaders directly, to look them in the eye and say, this is what we need as doctors on the front line in a country like Kenya, what would you say to them? All right, um, I'll start with at least our healthcare. Um, one, we, we don't have enough doctors that are employed. We have thousands of doctors that are unemployed. And this is, I believe, we have maybe one doctor to every 16,000 people. And that's, that's, uh, that's a little, considering we have uh, very many unemployed doctors. So one, doctors need to be employed and they need to be adequately compensated because there are some people in some counties that are not even getting paid. You know, we need enough PPE throughout the country. We need better facilities. We also need to support the Kenyan citizens, really, because this is these are harsh economic times. Also, just a fund, especially for healthcare workers, a fund that would ensure that should one get infected, should one get affected by this disease, that they're able to be taken care of. Because we are actually, I'd say we're pretty important as healthcare workers. And if we don't, and if we're going down, it'll be a problem for everyone. If we're going down, it'll be a problem for everyone. I think I'm going to underline that. What a note to finish on, Doctor. I very much hope that the things that you're calling for are heard and they're acted upon. Thank you very, very much for joining us on Equals. Take care and immense solidarity with all you're doing on the front line. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, if there was ever a case to listen to frontline doctors, I think we just heard it. I really got from my doctor friend a, a real palpable sense of anxiety, but I also heard from her the lessons that are being learned now about the things that need to change about the public healthcare system. It's really easy to forget, by the way, that, you know, in a country like Spain, you've got one doctor per, you know, 250 people. In a country like Kenya, it's one to 16,000. And even that's better than Tanzania next door, which has one per 71,000, a doctor for 71,000 people. It's frightening. I mean, Max, this is really a, a question of resources at its heart, isn't it? Uh, it is a question of resources. It's also the distribution of resources because in Spain they have a public healthcare system and it doesn't matter whether you are rich or poor, you'll get treated by the same nurse, the same doctor in the same hospital. That's just not true in most countries in the world. and It's definitely not true in Kenya. So, I mean, that's an average one to 17,000, but the majority of those doctors... They work in the private sector. They're only servicing rich patients. You know, for ordinary people who don't have money, healthcare is just not something you can access. And in the face of a pandemic, that's a really scary thing. I mean, this pandemic really puts an end to that case that we can have these healthcare systems that favour the rich. We need universal healthcare systems that everybody can access for free. Yeah, I think if anything comes from from all of this you know, a huge push for universal health coverage would be, should be the legacy of this pandemic. Brilliant. Thank you very much, my, my unnamed doctor friend. Let's get to our next interview now. Let's listen to Jakob. Yeah, so Jakob, uh, he's a, a resident in Kibera, which is the biggest slum in Nairobi and one of the most famous slums in the world. And just recently, uh, a week ago, uh, there was a um, People are really suffering because of the lockdown. People left out of their jobs, and you'll hear about that in the interview. But 
a really terrible incident happened in Kibera a few days ago where there was a stampede when food was given out, uh, some food was given out by the local MP. And in the stampede, two people were killed, many other people were critically injured. So just really is the, the reality of, of what it's like to live under lockdown. And that's what we're going to hear about now. for talking to us today um, I wanted to ask you I've been hearing a lot about um, the problem of hunger in the in the slums and obviously you live in Kibera it's one of the most famous slums in the world tell us a bit about what's happening because of the virus in Kibera okay yes um, I can confirm that okay we have a, we have a um, problem with um, food and um, a lot of problem with water we have a problem on that and are you are you finding are you struggling to find the money to to buy food? Yes, of course we struggle because um, as you can see the rent you have to pay. Also, food has risen up. You have to pay. You have to to go for food. You have to get food for your family. You have to put something on the table for your family. If you don't put anything there, then you see even this disease come. You are weak. It can. Easily sweat for you and the family. So, would you say people are, are worried about the sickness, or are they more worried about the hunger at the moment? Okay, they're worried about the hunger because you know if you are, if there is no food on the table, there is no way you can stay in the house, and you have kids there, and they, they need food, so they, you have to you have to walk out and see how your kids can eat. How are the police handling this? And do you, do you see the, the kind of attitude of the government to poor people? Do you think that police are too violent? Yes, of course. It seems very violent to me, yeah, yes. that level of oppression. Yes. If the government say, uh, this curfew, okay, don't walk out, then you will not walk out. Mm. If you walk out, you meet with a police. And the police are there to, to pitch you. You can see them walking with a big... Um, Rungus, they chase everyone, they pitch everyone. What's a rungu? Uh, this, uh, this, uh, this stick which they use. A big stick? Yes. That's from, a, they from, chase everyone. I think they use those sticks in colonial times. No? Yeah, yeah. But now you see the problem is, you have to ask me, okay, where are you going? Maybe I'm going to work. Mm. Before you ask me that, you have... You've still been beaten. Yeah, that's the problem. So the police, they are supposed to become clean. Okay, they can ask you a question. Okay, where are you heading to? What are you going to do? And then from there, you can explain yourself what are yeah. you going to do. Mm. But before they ask you such a question, they start pitting you as if you have stolen someone's uh, property. How long have you lived in Kibera? For now, I have lived in Kibera for 15 years. 15 years, and you've yes. never seen anything like this? Nothing like that. Only that uh, when uh, there was an uh, election, that's when I saw people fighting, people killed. Yes. Yeah. But now this one, this one is very bad. It's very bad. Each and everyone. Yeah, it's affecting everybody. Yeah, it's affecting every, everyone, every household. And what do you think, um, if you were the president, what would, what, would, what would you do? What do you think the government of Kenya could do at this point to help they have to fight the disease, mm -hmm. but they can't watch people starve. So what should they be doing? Okay, uh, the best thing that the government can do for now, as you can see, okay, uh, instead of uh, okay, taking food to, to Kibera and Lugeti, but people are going there in a large number. In the stampede. Yeah. yeah. They can look for other way. 
they can either say, okay, now, okay, we can, uh, we can, uh, uh, instead of go, uh, getting food to these people, we can send uh, uh, even 20,000 to their M-Pesa. Well, M-Pesa, you mean their account? Yes, their account, uh, to, uh, to their account. Their bank account. account. Okay. And they can send, and then from there you can, yourself, you can, okay, you can, you can go and get food. So you think some kind of cash grant to people in the slums? Yeah, that one can help. Okay. But not to bring food to... to uh, in slums. a chaotic way. Because you can bring food, okay, you can bring food, but your food can not reach to each and everyone. Okay. I can, okay, I can say, okay, let me stay in my house instead of going there to get another problem. Because, mm. mm. okay, you, you go there, you get people that are going there, they're not even using the mask. They're just going there. If you are affected, I'm mm. affected. How many people do you think they are going to be affected on that day? Mm, it's true. There are many. Is there anything the government could do on the, on the cost of housing? Okay, me personally, I have talked to my landlord. Yes. But what he said is that now, okay, um, you can pay your rent as the way you used to pay. But when the government decided, then we can see the way we can do, we can do it. But now, okay, you know, the government is content of the president. The president is the one who is supposed to stand and say, okay, now, because there is this problem of corona. Can we please um, stop um, uh, infecting people from their, uh, your house until uh, uh, such a time? I see, so a kind of ban on evictions. Yeah. Okay, you get that a landlord will come to your house and he remove iron shit. How would you? How are you going to sleep in that house? He would remove the roof. Yes. Yeah. And also, he can come and remove the door. If you you sleep, your door is open. There are uh, many chances of uh, uh, these uh, small boys. They can even come to sleep. Anything you have in your house. It's dangerous, are, isn't it? Yeah. Because they are going hungry with no food. They are not going to work. Yeah. And do you worry about more crime? Of course. That's what is going to happen. That's what is going to happen. Because, because if you stop me going to work, if you tell me, okay, you are not going to work out, where do I get food? Where do I get money to buy food? And you say the prices of food have increased. What do the shopkeepers say? Do they, how do they justify increasing their, their prices? This shopkeeper, they just they can even raise uh, the food the way they want because the government is, the, is supposed to control these people. You think they should control prices? Of course. Yeah. How do you feel about the rich people in Kenya and how they are responding to the virus? What do you think about them? And what, what does it make you think? I know we have rich people in our country. Okay, they could say, okay, now we can start donating uh, amount of money so that at least we can see how these people in the slum can get something to eat. But they're not doing that. They have decided to lock their houses, even to chase their workers. Yeah, they've sent their workers home. Yeah. They're scared. Yes. Yeah, many, many, many gardeners, cooks, yes. yeah. nannies, they've all been sent home. Yes, they? of course. And sometimes so, not paid. Which is painful. And the government has actually cut taxes for rich people. Mm-hmm in response to this crisis. How do you feel about that? So, do you think, my friend, that one will help? It will not help anything. Well, it will help rich people. 
You can help <laughs> the rich people. It seems you crazy. You can't help the, 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 the common mamanch. It can't. It seems crazy to me. I mean, the government also needs money for health workers. For yes. So let me ask you about health care. So if you or your family are sick, where do you go for health care? And, and what worries you about the virus in particular and, and health care in Kenya? Oh, it's um, there's one. Okay, there's one which is known by the name Bagati. Ah, yes. Bagati Humanita. Yes. That's where I usually take my, my, my family. And you have national health insurance? Yes, of course, I have that one. But many people do not. Yes, many people do not have that. If you don't... But to, but to me, it's good my company provided that. Yeah. And do not mean, there are many, uh, many companies where they, they don't even provide that. Health, health thing to their workers. And for people without health insurance, what would they do if they get sick? You depend on your money. You have to find money? Yes. So do you think, if, if I'm sick with the virus, but I have no money, what would, what would people do? Would they go for treatment? Okay, um, for now, the government, okay, say, okay, we can treat you. They can treat it. Anyone who is, uh, is affected with it, this uh, virus, they can treat but the problem is food. I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thanks for joining us today. Brilliant. It seems to me that the best way to find solutions to this crisis is to put put, put yourself in the shoes of somebody like Jacob and to shoot some people in his community. This is fundamentally about putting money into people's pockets and stopping money from leaving their pockets in this time of crisis. Yeah, I mean, it's all so simple in a way. I mean, if you can, you know, rent is is the biggest single expense for most most families. So if you had some kind of suspension of rent over a few months, which is what Jakob was suggesting, not only would that put money in the pockets of all of those people, it would be kind of like a wealth tax in reality because the only people who own property who are landlords are are never the poorest of the poor so that would be a really progressive way i thought that was really interesting and it's interesting that's because it's possible right so you're seeing a country like ethiopia now they've they've put a law out put a directive out that basically says that people can't be evicted from their properties and that and that rents are not going to go up that's one solution Jakob gave us more as well. He spoke, for example, about putting money into people's pockets. I mean, he was quite clear that giving out food is dangerous and divisive, and as we saw in Kibero, actually lethal. Much, much better to to do two things, really. Put money in people's pockets, some kind of cash transfer. You know, Oxfam does that in lots of humanitarian situations all over the world. There's ways of doing it, getting cash to people. And then some kind of control on basic foodstuffs. I was shocked by the fact that the shopkeepers in the, in the slums are jacking up prices, which is, you know, shocking at a time like this, but perhaps not that surprising. So some kind of control of the prices of basic foodstuffs as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to hear from you out there if you know of good things that governments are doing that other governments can f- learn from. Because I think it's a time to be vocal about these and to really try to socialize these ideas. I was reading, for example, about Ghana. I know what Jakob said about food. Ghana is giving out free food to poor people. It's about 400,000 poor people during this crisis, giving people free water, saying that people aren't going to have their electricity disconnected over their bills. So there are, I mean, this is coming down, you know, fundamentally to choices that governments can make. At the same time, 
We know that many of these governments are cash strapped, that resources are tight. But we've seen this very week some progress, for example, to unlock revenues for developing countries, that their payments on their debts to other governments, bilateral debts, they're going to be suspended for this year, which is a, it's a, it's really good progress, isn't it? Yeah, 70, 76, 77 countries won't have to pay uh, their debts to other governments for the next six months. I mean, it's it's not as much as we need. We need real cancellation of debt, but that's a, going to make a big difference. Someone like Kenya won't have to pay any money to the Chinese government, its biggest creditor, till the end of the year. We need to see that money used in the ways that we're talking about to help poor people. Absolutely. And, and yeah, so this is about spending and it's also about raising the resources or keeping resources in the country. Debt is obviously one part of it. Taxes is another, you know, what we can call solidarity taxes on the rich rather than giving 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 the rich a, a tax break at this time, as we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, here in Kenya, as we talked about in the interview, they cut the top rate of tax. That's one of the first things they did from 30% to 25%, which is basically inexcusable in a time like this when the government needs every single penny it can get and rich people really don't need a tax cut. No, they really don't. On that note, let's let's bring this episode to a close by thanking you out there again for joining us for for this latest episode as part of our Inequality Virus mini-series. Do let us know your thoughts about what we can cover, anything that you're seeing that's positive or particularly negative. Do email us, equals at oxfam.org. Thanks, guys, for joining us. We'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.